welcome to Minute 46 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob. I'm Tom. And joining us this week is Alan Sanders of the Wilder Ride and Marriage Fit Podcasts. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I got a chance to dig the movie out and rewatch it. It's been a long time. Um, my last version of seeing this was actually Chicken Run, but then I, w- I went back and watched the actual real movie this time. All right. That was, that was good because if you watch Chicken Run, uh, you know, minute 46 would be a little different than the, the minute <laughs> that we're doing here. A little bit, a little bit. And uh, Chicken Run's a little shorter. You it know, is. You're not going to have, you're not going to get 172 episodes out of uh, Chicken Run. Not right. And, and a little funnier, but still. <laughs> That depends how you look at it. I'm actually, I'm uh, as obviously you can guess, I'm a really big fan of The Great Escape. I'm not a fan of Chicken Run. Oh, really? Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. And well, like, maybe, pretty... it's the, maybe it's the Mel Gibson. Maybe it's the Mel Gibson aspect. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe when I finish rewatch, you know, when we finished all 172 episodes, I'll I'll go back and rewatch uh, Chicken Run, and maybe I'll have uh, a newfound uh, love for it. Maybe. It's possible. At the very least, you can you appreciate the filmmakers are doing at least an homage to The Great Escape, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's just great, but, uh, you know, you can't beat the original. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> exactly. Minute 46 starts off with uh, Danny beginning to chip away at the tunnel wall and uh, goes all the way till uh, Willie sassing off to one of the guards. <laughs> this this is, uh, you know, a continuation of, of last week last week's episode where uh, we, we actually get to start seeing, you know, they, they've, they've opened up one of the tunnels and they're starting to work on it. And you see the various tools they use. I mean, you have uh, Charles Bronson, you know, basically standing inside of uh, what seems like a manhole and, and start chipping away at the sides with, with some interesting tools that, that he was able to, to get. And then once again, we are able to see some of the uh, various signals that, I mean, we've discussed this before and we'll discuss it in the future also in, in uh, later episodes. The, the fact that it's amazing the way that, uh, you know, they set up all these signals to about when the guards are nearby or when they're, they're, they're far away and stuff like that. So we start off with a uh, pipe guy looking through a peephole mm-hmm. that they, that they cut out of the, of the, of, of uh, the, the door in order to see what's going on. He sees a guard on the outside and then he replaces the cork inside the people, which, again, you'd think that being able to take a, a, a peephole like that, you know, the guards would probably notice it at some point. It's what not something I, I that's going to be about, so smooth. What I loved about the movie, going back and rewatching and seeing it more through adult eyes than as a teenager or even a 20-something kid, is the obviously all of their previous attempt to escape and all of their previous um, you know, wisdom was sort of collected and they learn how to create hiding places that weren't so obvious. They'd been caught so many times before. And I love that scene very, you know, toward the beginning of the movie where the commandant of the prison re- recognized we've brought all of the escape artists and put them in one basket. And we are going to show you, you can't, you're not going to get away. And yet they're still able to hide their tools, hide their processes, still befriend guards. And, and it was just, to me, it was almost like that cat and mouse game, the whole movie. Who's going to, who, who's going to get caught? If anybody gets caught, are they going to be able to pull it off? If you don't know anything about it, watching it, maybe even for the first time, not even recognizing that it was based in large part on true events, it's it's very much a, a cat and mouse game. Who's going to eventually outsmart the other? And I, and I love that element of the of the movie. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed this numerous times, how it's similar to a, 
it's a heist movie basically you know they mm-hmm. they've used i mean this was obviously before most of the heist movies came out i mean uh, oceans 11 did come out before you know two years before but but the uh sinatra uh, rat pack uh, oceans 11 is a little different than what everyone knows from the from the clooney ones it's done in a little different way no, you're you're completely right. I mean, it's it's great the way that 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 this whole thing plays out. I, I assume based on what you said that you haven't read the book, so you, you're not, not familiar with the uh, with the actual story. We'll we'll, we'll get to that uh, sometime later in the week. I have I have some interesting tidbits from the book also because what what he did in an in interesting fashion was to to take the basic ideas of what happened in real life and make it uh, more cinematic and more fun. Mm-hmm. Because you know the, the the movie definitely has a fun tone throughout the entire part of it. Oh, this yeah, is a yeah. typical World War Two Nazi movie, you know, I, where where you know this isn't Schindler's List. This right. isn't, no, I uh, do know that a lot of the characters were either uh, you know kind of a compilation of other characters. I did know uh, reading a little bit of the background that even though there were Americans in the camp and they did participate in helping to dig, as opposed to the movie, all the Americans got moved out before they could actually do the escape and so there were no actual americans as the movie portrays getting out uh because at that time the germans were sort of losing war and they were worried the americans were getting too close and they didn't want to have americans there to sort of rally the troops and so they moved them to a a completely different prison so i did know that but i have never i've never i've never taken the time to really dive into the book for the historical versus the hollywood Right. So uh, some of the Americans were moved to a different camp, but they actually opened up a another branch of the camp, you know, like more barracks in a where they I think they called it North Camp, where they where the Americans were. And a lot of the Americans who were moved there were, uh, as you said, essential in uh, digging the tunnel and stuff like that. And they, they were all pretty pissed off that they missed the escape. Uh, but but <laughs> after, after one would they, imagine. <laughs> but then but then after they heard what happened, I think they were a little relieved. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, they, that they actually got away with their their lives. Again, we have we have the whole idea of of of, of the signals. Yeah, you know, you have yeah, the, the the signal here is a simple one. He just gives a thumbs up to someone else further on in the barracks, who then takes his tin cup and uh, has it on the stove. You know, which which then gets gets them ready to, to everyone. Then everyone starts moving from their bunks to to start moving along. And this is, and I know we'll we've talked about it before, and we'll talk about it again. Yeah, this is another one of their, we're going to have probably too many signals in a short period of time, for at least for my taste. We've got the thumbs up and then the hitting the stove, which I feel like the guy at the door can just hit the bunk next to him and accomplish the same thing with less manpower, and stove hitting guy can be somewhere else doing something else useful. But what I do like is... All of these people in the bunks, you know, the signal does tell them, hey, get in the hallway and just slow the Germans down, which was something I, until this watching, never really picked up on that, oh, that's what they're doing. They're just getting in the Germans' way, giving Danny time to get out and seal up the tunnel again. No, I I saw that right away when they were doing, it felt like, and see, that's why maybe because you guys have watched it so much and you're watching it to the to the detail, but it made sense that someone would tap out like their coffee grounds or whatever to kind of tap out their cup and to be loud enough just to make sure because he was chipping away at the concrete. You don't want to take a chance that a grunt or a cough wouldn't have been misheard. You want something pretty sharp that you know, higher timber would be heard. 
And yet it still makes sense because you would be doing that with your cup. And then everybody's like, okay, we're crowd now. We're going to pretend we don't even hear the Germans. We're going to pretend that, you know, make them force us to slowly clear, buying as much time as they can to, to hide the escape. Right. That's definitely true. I mean, as Tom, as we've said before, the, the, the whole idea of the signals, the way they do them here is just done more for, for the cinematic nature of the whole thing. To, I mean, for me, it's one of the most iconic moments of the film, the fact that they use signal all the time. You know, for that, you know, I, I've mentioned this before that, that whenever I see in a movie where someone signals someone else, you know, they, they, they set up, you know, uh, baseball signals uh, in, in, in some strange situation, it's, they're, they're basing it on what they did here. There's, there's no question about that. So, I'm, in, 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 according to the book, they had signals, but their signals were minimal. You know, they had, you know, you'd open a window, you'd close a window, you'd, you'd put something, you know, in the window for people to see. You know, so that you'd you'd be able to tell certain things like that. The thing that 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 gets me about the 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 true story and the way that's portrayed in the movie is, I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, Alan, and I know Tom hasn't. Um, have you ever seen Star Trek Seventeen? No, I haven't. Okay, so Star Trek Seventeen is a similar themed movie. You know, about that one really is Americans in a in a German POW camp. But the whole idea is that they're trying to figure out. They know that there's a spy that's 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 in the barracks that's that's off the Germans. And the amount of people who know about the X organization and that are part of it, it just amazes me that in real life, the Germans didn't think to put a spy in there, <laughs> you know, especially when, especially what you said, you know, here we're putting all our rotten eggs in one ba- basket. Um, okay, so let's put an extra one, you know, <laughs> right. to be able to, to tell us what's going on. We, we need more, more intel on what's going on. So as smart as the Germans were... Uh, you know, there there were still some holes in their, the way they were thinking with this whole thing, because again, they're they're trying to get 250 people out. I think there were 600 prisoners in the in the camp, something like that. Um, that's pretty easy to, to to put in a spy, yeah, uh, from that perspective. Unless, and they didn't do it, unless the the premises, which again, I, I don't know why they wouldn't have, because it'd be impossible to to think that you couldn't smuggle someone in. But unless they thought everybody kind of knows everybody because they've all been put together before do we risk an outsider and would that outsider be accepted because you know the first scene in the movie which i know you guys talked about what you know weeks ago everyone's milling around going hey i'm gonna go check around i think so-and-so is here and did you see so-and-so and did you well what happened to him did he get it's like everybody's like aware that they're all together having had other quote adventures or escape attempts multiple times in other facilities right okay yeah. that's very true um, that's a very good point. But again, neither one of you have seen Star Trek 17, so you don't see how that works. It works through the whole thing. But, but you know, they, they, there is there. You know, they, they, there's, it's a suspected spy, and, you know, in the end, there really is a spy. I won't tell you who the spy is because that, mm, that will really yeah. give the whole thing away. You should watch it first or wait until, until I decide to do a podcast on that one at some point. <laughs> I'm assuming there is there is a way of getting a spy in. I mean, you, you make a very good point that, that – but but if you have 600 uh, people around, I mean, let's put it this way. Henley wasn't wasn't in the camps with them beforehand. You know, someone mentions, right. oh, yeah, we got a scrounger, an American named Henley. Obviously, there were no Americans there, but that's a separate issue. But someone knew him. You know, there was not everyone knew him, but they were able to explain the fact that there's there's someone here that 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 Roger didn't know, you know, and, and they give him a very high position in the ex organization. You know, it isn't someone who. Who, who can eventually cause problems. I mean, who can't, he, he obviously can cause problems on the level. And so uh, I guess Mac needs to make sure that he does his intelligence well enough to make sure. 
Now, I guess on the flip side, just like when uh, you, you get scenes later and in and, and any kind of situation like this where you can befriend a guard or befriend, quote, the enemy, you know, do things for you, to plan a spy, it'd be just as easy to find someone who is just on the edge of the rope, you know, just all pissed off. And that you just say, look, you come help us. We're going to make sure we're, we're going to treat you nice. We're going to get you extra rations. Maybe you get a separate little bunk to your be very easy to try to turn somebody with 600 people you got to imagine there's someone if the germans wanted to to plant as a spy could have right but i'm not even talking about it from that perspective i'm not ta- i'm not talking about turning someone i'm even talking because again in 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 stock 17 and it's also mentioned in, uh, in uh, band of brothers okay i don't know if either of you have seen band of brothers fantastic oh, yeah. okay. exactly so so there's there's a point where they capture a bunch of German soldiers who are all English speakers, you know, the whole Battle of the Bulge and stuff like that, where where they had, I guess you can say, quote unquote, good Germans who were living in America that as soon as the war broke out, they 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 flew back home to the Rhineland, you know, to, to join up. Right. So so it's not even just the question of of, of bribing someone to become a, a spy. It's the idea that, OK, this is someone who 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 really believes in what we're doing. Right. Whatever. It didn't happen, which which (laughs) I'm just my point here is that that it amazes me that that they didn't try this, that that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So continuing with the with the minute. So as soon as, you know, the the everyone jumps out of their bunks. So Danny very fluidly jumps out of the tunnel. You know, he Charles Bronson must be in pretty good shape. You know, maybe (laughs) really maybe maybe. (laughs) <laughs> Alan, maybe your wife uh, is giving him some, uh, you know, fitness tips. Some fitness and had a, tips. Oh no, had a jump out. Looked like he was in pretty darn good shape. He was, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone of the '80s, where you're like super ripped. I mean, he he was. I mean, he has his, his arms, his 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 biceps, pecs, shoulders, deltoids, everything. The guy was the guy was working out before this movie. Yeah. But again, the way that he just jumps out so quickly and they throw, they throw all the tools in, inside the hole, you know, and they're, they're, they're within seconds, they're, they're pretty much able to, to get everything, you know, completely covered up again. I mean, I found it interesting that they throw their tools in there. How they get, they're going to have to, it's going to be a real pain to get them out afterwards. Yeah. You have to have someone, have to hold someone by their legs in order to, 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 to reach down to get it because when he's standing there, he can't really reach down. So that, right. that, that's, um- now, did you, in terms of some of the research, uh, Charles Bronson's character is based off of Wally Flutie, right? You, have you talked about him at all? Um, we've talked a little bit about him, but you can go into more detail well, if I you just want was, about Wally. Some of the stuff I looked up for these minutes, um, because he was, quote, the the, 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 the nickname Tunnel King, yeah. um, I hadn't realized that he was actually brought in to be sort of an on-scene expert for the movie, that he worked yeah, on yeah, he was, the he was for about a year. He was the consultant that they, that they got. He was he was actually one of the Americans that was that was moved out. He he was really pissed that that when he got moved. But you know, and that's he, maybe because when I saw this movie as a kid, I kind of still thought of it as a Hollywood movie. And it was not until you know being asked to be part of this that I went and researched the characters and realized how many actors in this movie had served and been in camps during World War Two. It's like yeah, it feels. Like this movie doesn't feel like it should be that old, and yet all those actors actually had World War II experiences that they could bring to the film. That to me was incredible. Uh, for everybody from Donald Pleasance to uh, to uh, um, what's his name, um, Sir, Richard, Sir Richard Attenborough. I mean, he was yeah. actually uh, shot down, and I mean, just I was blown away by the amount of people that had true World War II relevant experience even, to work on this. Even film. the Germans, even yeah, the Germans, one of the Germans. 
one of the German actors was was in a POW camp in in America where he where he escaped and made it all the way to St. Louis before they caught him. Yeah, um, what, in, in Arizona, right? That's where the the, the quote I think that's right. Was. I, th- yeah. I think that that's sort of called hearing of where it was. And yeah. the thing that I didn't th- – for me, I kept thinking, well, this is a Hollywood version of a POW camp. It felt it was too nice, too clean, too organized, but I guess that's what the Germans are. <laughs> then I read everyone that said that they were in a camp similar, that they had done a great job replicating what a POW camp would have been like for prisoners of war, not concentration camps. These were POW camps, which were different. Right. One of the things you also have to take into consideration, and Tom and I have mentioned this numerous times, and I'm sure we'll mention it over and over, it, it amazes us the, the, the way that their, their clothes do not look disheveled. I mean, remember, every one of these every one of these characters is a pilot, so they all bailed out, okay? And they all, it's interesting the things that they were able to get into this camp with them. So when, when you bail out, you got to make sure, I mean, we, we found a guy carrying a guitar, or we found a guy carrying a trombone. You know, when 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 your when your plane's on fire, you know what to grab. Grab that trombone and then pull then then uh, you know pull the ejection lever. Um, that was and, something I found interesting in the costume design, which I don't know how much you got into, but it's almost like it was the the cartoon version of like Scooby Doo. Everybody had the same costume that they would wear pretty much the whole time. It was like that was their outfit. It yeah, never seemed yeah. to get disheveled. Never. Like, when did they send it out for laundry or wash? It never seemed to get worn. You know, until obviously they show making the the. the costumes they'll wear to sort of blend in when they escape but you know everybody kind of looked the same throughout the movie yeah yeah but the, the, the basically their their, their uniforms are mixed matches mixed mix matches you know some of them have the same jacket some of them have the same pants some of them have the same shirt you know and they just like mix them around so that they don't look as exactly uh, as if they're all wearing the same exact uniform they're, they're similar uniforms but like what i like james garner's character always seemed like he was wearing the exact same outfit it, it never would be a change of shirt or a change of pants it felt yeah like, but where would where would he have a change of shirt and a change I, of pants and, and he probably Especially he's got but, he's got a, a white polo shirt you know a car with a cardigan is that what it's right called? but at yeah. some point that's when they not look white anymore <laughs> I, I feel like a large part of that too is just because of the size of the cast you almost Could, have to do that so you can keep everyone straight. Yeah, that's a good point. Keep them identifiable based on their costume and makeup. Right. Yeah, but but again, I, I agree that that, that that's it, it helps when when you're when you're dealing with an ensemble cast like this, you you need to be able to tell the difference between them. You know, it's it, I find it very annoying when I watch uh, you know different movies where where you have a whole group of uh, you have a whole platoon of of characters where they're the entire time they're all wearing their helmets, they're all wearing their uniforms, and it's sometimes hard to tell the difference just by looking at their faces. So they do a good job of that here, but but we still have to take into consideration that. They didn't have a change of clothing. Well, yeah. well, see, yeah. and I don't know enough about them not having read the book, but in terms of a camp, I mean, obviously you see at the very beginning, the officers seem to have somewhat of a level of respect. You're a prisoner of war. You, you know, you act well, we'll treat you well. You would think they're going to give you, we're going to give you, we're going to give you British uniforms. Well, I just, <laughs> but I mean, even that's going to give you German uniforms. <laughs> they might have just basic kind of like dungaree, basic, just like prison wear almost. You would think that they would have. Because at some point you're gonna have to wash your clothes. You're gonna. I mean, I don't think. I, I don't know how that works in a prison camp. But did they just let them stay in one pair of clothes for months and months and months? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I. I that, the book doesn't really describe. That doesn't really discuss uh, that aspect of it of uh, how many change of clothing well, now everyone I'm have has. This up. That, I know. It's a very good. It's a very good question. Maybe later in the week you'll be able to give us an answer on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I'll see what I can do before Friday. <laughs> there you go. Um, 
And, uh, basically the, and we also always talk about the fact that it's surprising the, the amount of hats that, that, that all of them who bailed out were still able to hold on to also. <laughs> well, it, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Basically they're, they're, they're trying to cover up the, the tunnel. And it, again, it's, it's in the way that they're doing it. I mean, the, they're, they're holding off the Germans the whole way, but, but what they do is, is that, uh, you know, they have the putty to put it back in. You know, it's going to be a pain taking it, taking it out every single time. And then to top it all off, they, they throw a bucket of water on top of it. You know, how do you get that out of there? <laughs> Gravity. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take care of itself. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it is, it is a, a, a grate. I mean, when, when you see them taking a shower, the water goes into the grate. So obviously, uh, you know, there is some plumbing situation there where it can get out. But if you're spilling water in there, the idea is, is that, first of all, you've now made it watertight. Uh, and that's pretty quick to make it watertight by, by just putting the putty there. Because you don't want the, the tunnel to now be filled with water, because that would be even difficult to deal with mud instead of just dirt. Well, um, not so much worried about making it watertight. You're more or less just trying to keep it from, you know, you just need some level of water to stay in there and just not all drop through real quick. As the Germans come back, you've got someone in the shower. You need water in the grate. You know, if it's seeping out the bottom and getting the tunnel a little wet, it's not the end of the world because it's I imagine that is not the showers that are used most regularly. Why why would you think that? I think that in every single barracks, you know, you have showers. I mean, as as we've already noted, they don't change their clothes, so at least they can take showers more frequently. Well, that was that it was supposed to have been a working drainage system for the showers that they have somehow plugged it up so that way they can use it as for a tunnel. And then obviously there could be water that's going to seep through. But I guess in their minds, it's better to have just a little bit of water sort of center and get in their way and make it muddy because they're not going to be draining all the shower water. They just did that for the last second to kind of make it look like lots of people may have showered and filled up that drainage. But um, I, I think it's more about obscuring anything that could make them uh, question that there was a hole there. Yeah. Yeah, of course. There's, there's no question about that. I mean, that, that, that is the clear reason, you know, I'm just thinking one step further that, okay, the, they're going to have to go back and continue tunneling, you know? So, and, and as we all know, it's, it's much easier to move dirt. Than that. What can they do? What can you do? <laughs> and then the, the, the guard comes and, and, you know, Willie starts mopping, uh, mopping up and then Danny takes off his shirt to office pecs uh, <laughs> when he's taking a shower. And and the German guard says something very interesting here. He goes, you're not in your hut. Yes. Which basically tells us that time time has passed since uh, the previous scenes. The, the German guards have already started understanding, you know, who's in which barracks, you know, and to, to know that, okay, I've walked into barracks, I don't know, 104, and you, you know, if if Danny's there, Danny's not supposed to be there. Danny lives in 106. You know that 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 already shows a, a little bit of intimate knowledge that the guards have of the the prisoners. Obviously, the prisoners are are trying to gain intelligence on on the guards, but it also seems that it's the way around. Just that that little line of him saying "You're not in your hut" says so much, considering considering that that the first X meeting was the day they all showed up. Well, remember so how I said thirty a few weeks later how I said for me watching this, there's always that cat and mouse game to me. To me, that was a line that said, we know who's supposed to be in which of the barrack rooms. 
and you're not supposed to be in this barrack. You're supposed to be in a different one. It makes me think, is that going to lead them to think, why are you here? Are you are you doing something? So it's like that always made me as an active watcher go, is that a tip off that something's going on besides just hanging out with your your, your friends in, in the camp? You know, and exactly. I love that little moment. Yeah, because because, again, the question is, is if if everyone has a shower like this, so then, OK, so he, why is he here taking a shower? You know, <laughs> well, but this what was he doing here that he's taking a shower? But this bunkhouse looks different than every, any other one we've been in to this point. I mean, we've been in Colin and Henley's, which has just got the one bunk bed in the table. We've seen where Cavendish is, where you got the 12, you know, or the 12 beds. Right. We've seen Ramsey's room, which, you know, is, looks, if I remember, it was just the one bed. But this looks much more like just a standard squad bay. So we've, I mean, this is just another, okay, there's, there's no internal consistency in the movie as to what the different, or there's no consistency at least with what the bunk rooms look like. And so right. I, that does make me wonder, do they all have showers or, you know, it a you can have your own rooms, but, you know, We've only run the shower heads to a handful of these buildings, you know, something like that. Where right? Okay, that's true. I mean, they never they never really give us a, a layout of, the, of of each of the the barracks, um, which which you can look at it from both perspectives. You can say on the one hand, okay, this one might be different; it, it is different. Or you can look at the other aspect and say, okay, we just didn't see all the interior of the other one, and therefore they they should be the same. I, my thinking is that, that if the Germans are building these barracks, they're, they're going to build them the exact same way, all of them. That, that's the way my thinking is. Whether it's right. correct or not is a different difference. You know, the yeah. only thing I wondered was because we had introduced to some of the officers early, but with 600 people, I don't think they were all supposed to be officers. I wonder if some of the more uh, dormitory-like rooms were for the upper ranks as sort of a respect for the officer position, and there were sort of like the general, sort of like the the enlisted personnel that would stay more in groups like you would in boot camp or like at infantry, where you wouldn't necessarily be considered in your own quarters. Right, okay, I, I can I can see that, I mean, but but every one of the, the main cast are, are, are officers. Right. So, you know, that, that, that's the thing. Obviously, there's tons of extras. So it could be that some of the extras are, are, are of lower rank, but they're also all, all in the Air Force. This is an Air Force camp. You well, know, we have established so, that they're all intermingling anyway, so they're all not supposed to be necessarily all in there. Right. That's true also. That's a good point. And, and the, the guard actually says it, you know, to, to not just Danny. He looks at a number of people and he says, you're not supposed to be here and you're not supposed to be here and you're not supposed to be here. You know, tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about uh, why they're there. You know, so Willie just says, oh, I'm, I'm mopping up. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's okay. A, it's great. It's so much. The one thing I actually, I thought through, through this whole movie is you're, you're imprisoned by the enemy and just the, and maybe they were doing it to be playful in the movie to keep it a little bit lighter, but these are the things you would at any point in time just decide to kill you and, and, and be done with you. And just this whole flippant, I'm going to just sass and be, you know, smart alecky with you and I'm going to give you I mean that was actually kind of striking to me that they didn't seem to take the being in a camp seriously. 
Okay, I actually have an answer to that, but I was gonna I was gonna keep it for later in this week because I, okay. I I I, I uh, let's put it this way the the there's a reason why the guards that are in this camp are in this camp. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave people you know uh, in suspense to to have to listen in later this week to find out <laughs> why. <laughs> there, there's a reason for it. I I just came across an article today that that this this and many other things about the camp. Which, which we'll talk about later this week. Do you, do you have anything else for, for this minute? I don't think so. Alan, no, you got I, anything? I think I hit all the stuff that I wanted to at the beginning. Um, okay. I, we, we're gonna have, we'll have more with Charles Bronson tomorrow. Uh, I actually learned something about him that I didn't know about uh, because he has a different accent. I was like, is he, is he really doing a decent job with that accent, or is, that just, is he faking it? And, and then I, did, I learned something new, so we'll, we'll hit it tomorrow. Okay. Talk about that. So, Alan, you want to tell everyone how they can get in touch with you? Uh, sure. Uh, I do something similar, or at least me and my partner, Walt Murray, we did uh, two seasons of, we called it the Wilder Ride, where we were looking at the movies of Gene Wilder one minute at a time. Season one, we dedicated to Young Frankenstein. Season two, we dedicated to Blazing Saddles. We were mostly through pre-production, had even started recording some episodes of Silver Streak for season three, when the whole world shut down and we had to, like, scrap everything. And we changed into a talk show format to make it easier for everybody to zoom in. And so what we ended up doing was uh, shifting gears to what we called the Wilder Ride Listener's Lounge. Uh, people have enjoyed that as much as uh, the movies by minutes, so we kept it into season four. We are going to do a Willy Wonka movie this year in, in conjunction. So we're actually doing sort of like two, two casts under the name The Wilder Ride. And then my wife and I just started a show the beginning of this year, completely different, about uh, what it's like to be... And for our for us, we're going to say approaching the middle age years, having kids that we've uh, merged together from previous families. Uh, we call it the Marriage Fit Podcast, learning how to make things fit, how to make sure you stay fit and not throw a fit. And so that's uh, kind of an interesting one as well. And you can find us at either one of those, the Marriage Fit Podcast or uh, the Wilder Ride. All right. And, uh, catch us. You can go to our Facebook group, The Cooler. You can uh, go to our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Great Escape MXM, and you can uh, send us an email if you want, thegreatescapemit at gmail.com. Please go rate, review, subscribe on any podcatcher that, that you use to listen to us. And until tomorrow, tally-ho. 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 Tally-ho.